Good morning, everybody. If you could take hold of your Bible, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. I have the privilege of bringing the word today. Clayton asked me to just maybe talk around the subject of faith. It is one of my favorite subjects. So what I've done quickly is just throw up a list of the importance of faith, what the Bible says about faith. By faith we are healed, delivered, forgiven. Obedience comes out of faith. We're encouraged. We live by faith. We're made righteous by faith. We're justified. We receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith, we gain access into grace by faith. Miracles are performed. We receive the promise of the Spirit. Again, we're sanctified. We fight the good fight of faith. The universe was formed. Sacrifices were offered. We please God as a result of faith. People worked because of their faith. They moved cities. Children were conceived. Our future is blessed. We refused the limelight, denied pleasure, persevere, water was parted, walls fell, prostitutes were saved, kingdoms were conquered, battles were won, justice administrated, lines quieted, walked through the fire, the dead raised. That happens by faith. So that's a fairly important subject, and it's one word the Bible describes. You can turn to it, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith has been sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Some translations say faith is the evidence of what we hope for, the conviction. of It's a substance. Faith is a substance that who God is and what he said. And the Bible tells us, Romans 10, 17, how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. You're in the Word. You know all this. All right. But one of the important scriptures on faith is that many people quote is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. It's a very important scripture because Paul is telling us that's how we live. That's how a Christian walk is conducted and lived out while we live here on this earth. But we need to understand the context of that verse. So if you've got your Bibles open, as I said, go to 2 Corinthians. But let's go to 2 Corinthians 3 just to give a brief context of that particular verse so we understand what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where Paul is writing to this church and he's saying that we don't have to come and recommend ourselves to you. We don't need letters like other people and about all how great we are. He's saying to this church, you are our letters written by the Spirit of God on the tablets of your heart. That's what he's saying. It's the Spirit of God because of their ministry. The Spirit of God has come and written on the tablets of your heart. And why he's saying that, because if you just keep your finger there, but if you go back to Exodus 31, this is where he starts to go in 2 Corinthians 3. Exodus 31, verse 18 says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on the Mount of Sinai, he gave him two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Amazing. Now, the Bible says it was inscribed by the finger of God. I often wonder, did God actually come and write them with his finger? If I take it literally, that's what happened. The next verse, the Exodus 32, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, and they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on tablets. Now, Paul is saying, no longer is it written on tablets. It's now written on your heart. That's why I'm giving you some context. The Spirit of the Lord has come, impacted you, and begin to write the Word of God on your heart. It's a work of the Spirit. It's not by the law. You understand what I'm saying? And in 2 Corinthians, he's explaining that. And in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's housed within this body. And so in order for that which is written inside to begin to be expressed outward, this has to die. 
this has to give way to what's written inside. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm very paraphrasing it. And in 4 verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we have been renewed day by day. But our light and momentary troubles are of achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporal, what is unseen is eternal. So you can't see with your natural eye what God has done inside you. Hallelujah. Amen. And what he continues to do. Now do you go to chapter 5. Then Paul, if we go to verse 1, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in, that's this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God. And he begins to talk about, all right, now you have this written inside you, but one day this tent, this body is going to die. But now you have a heavenly tent coming, the resurrected body. Hallelujah. Then I'll be like a 70-year-old again. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Then we'll have a race with the young people and we'll see who won. And he's saying that's what's coming. That's the glory of what's coming. So you've got saved. The Lord's writing on the tablet of your heart. This needs to give way to express the goodness and the grace of God, not only to yourself but to a dying world. But one day you're going to get a new body. And in between that it says, so we live by faith, not by sight. And the context is, People being saved, and one day down the line when they die and the Lord comes back, they're going to get a new body. In between that event and this event, we live by faith. Hallelujah. So he's talking about these two major events, incredible events. This is a huge miracle that he can take a heart like Dwayne's and just turn it, and you know what I mean. Get him to repent and accept him. You know, it's hard, I understand. But one day he's going to get a new body. You with me? And so between these events, we live by faith. That's what Paul is saying. So the, the concept that Paul is trying to say is that a whole Christian walk is living by faith between events. Between events of what God does in our life. Amen. It's like receiving a promise, but you haven't got it and you walk it out. And then one day we get the promise, and that's one event, this is another event. But between these two events, we've got to live by faith. Amen. That's what Paul is trying to bring across to these particular people. So, it's very important that we understand that that's how we live. Now, I think of this church and all that's happened and all what God's doing and all what God's promised. Some of those promises are coming to pass. And if you remember when we moved out of the school building and we went into Evergreen... We had a word there that when God brings us into the new place, that's this place, some of those promises will be fulfilled. And some of them I'm going to mention to you. The Lord told us through, and I don't want to mention his, just mention his name because it came through that person, but it's not about them. Francois, I will give you favor with people in authority. The whole process of what happened here was favor was granted with people that needed to give us certain permits and do stuff. It was credible favor. He says, I'll give you favor with man, and that's what's happened. And even this week, you hosted people that were part of this community. People from the police and etc. came and sat here. We hosted them. God giving us favor, people. Amen. That was His promise to us. Now it's fulfilled. But there was a journey from the promise to the fulfillment that wasn't easy at times. Hello, as a congregation. One of the promises God gave us, a voice will go from this church into the political arena high up. How many remember that? 
That's what the Lord told us. Well, that's happening. But it's not happening the way I thought it was going to happen. I don't think it happened the way you thought. We have this lady who actually doesn't want all the limelight, is now getting access to go and pray. She prayed in the White House this week. She prayed in the Israel Embassy this week. She prayed with people of the cabinet. That's unbelievable. That's a promise being fulfilled. Nobody knew it was going to be Tracy. She just happens to be our spokesman. But the Lord said, out of this church. Isn't that amazing? Well, I think it's amazing. I don't know about you. I really do. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. That's all right. <laughs> So most of our Christian walk is between these events, events in time. And that's the walk of faith. Amen. So what do we do between these events? What do we do between these times? How is that faith expressed? What do we do when nothing seems to be happening? Who knows what I'm talking about? What do we do when life just seems to have a daily routine of getting up and going to work and coming home and feeding the kids and they're crying and putting them to bed and bathing them and nothing seems to be happening? What do we do when we feel like our prayers are not going anywhere? What do we do when we're not too sure how to please the Lord in all this? Do we quit? No, hallelujah, definitely not. Do we stop praying? No. Do I feel sorry for myself? Do I sulk in the corner? What do we do? That's what I want to talk about. It is interesting to note that between the times of Jesus' resurrection and the ascension, when he would show up and then disappear, and show up and then disappear. It's interesting that Peter, I don't know if he got frustrated or what happened, he said, I'm going back fishing. You go read it. Yet, three years earlier, when Jesus called him, he said he left his nets and his boats. Now Jesus is appearing and disappearing, and he's not too sure what's going on, and he doesn't know. He says, well, I'm just going to go back fishing. And about five of them followed him, and they all went back fishing. I don't know what he was doing. One day we'll ask him. But the Lord met them right there again. They went out fishing. They caught nothing. And then they see this person coming, and this person says, well, throw your nets on that side. Peter remembered what had happened years before, and he said, it's the Lord. Remember, and he jumped out and ran to him, and then Jesus cooked fish on the beach, and they had breakfast together. I find that remarkable. I wonder how he did it. I wonder if he just prayed over the fish and it was done. Or, oh, I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. It's just my imagination runs away with me. Or did he actually go and collect the wood and make the fire or what? But anyway. So most of the life happens between these two events. So these three things I suggest that we put in our lives between these events to express a life of faith. Wait, worship, and watch. These are the ones I want to chatter. First of all, wait. This is what the Bible says about wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. 37, 34. Hope in the Lord, that word hope is in a sense wait, and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. That word hope is wait in the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land when you wait on him. Sometimes we want to run ahead of him and help him out, if you understand what I'm saying. Psalm 40 verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. And if you read the context of that, of what happened next, he pulled me out of a slimy pit. He put my feet on a rock. He put a song in my heart. Why? Because I'd waited upon him. 
But those who hope, those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. That word hope is wait. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk. Those who wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 49, 23. Kings will be your foster fathers and the queens your nursing mothers. They will bow before you with their faces to the ground. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope, those who wait in me will not be disappointed. Okay, my Bible actually uses the word wait, hope, same word. Then last verse, Isaiah 64, 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is that scripture quoted again? 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Paul said, no eye has perceived, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, what God has in store for those who love him. Paul changed the word wait to love. Same scripture. Because we show our love to the Lord by waiting upon him. When we wait upon him, we show that we love him. We are so keen and eager to see things happen and promises to be fulfilled that we tend to run ahead of things. And in my own life, I know I have patience in some areas. In other areas, I do not, unfortunately. When it comes to traffic, I'm not very good. Dwayne knows that. Even when we go on a trip, Michelle and I, we're driving somewhere, and I can see the gas is going down, and I'm trying to judge when I've got to get gas, and I can tell in my car, you've got 100 miles left, 50 miles. It's amazing how I push it to the end. You've got 12 miles left. And I say, Michelle, we're going to push soon. Why? Because I don't want to go off the highway. All the cars have just passed. Now I've got to go off the highway, and they're going to pass me, and I've got to pass them again. <laughs> so I'm leaving it to the last second. <laughs> no patience. <laughs> just no patience. <laughs> but in other areas, we've got to stand in lines or queues. Just, you've got to be patient and wait. It's a good thing. But God says, wait on me. Wait on me. Hebrews 6.12 says, through faith and patience, you will inherit the promises of God. Through faith and patience. Patience is sown by waiting on God and letting him do it in his time how he chooses to do it. He will do it. Amen. Will we just wait on him? I think of Abram, who was the father of faith. He was called at the age of 53. That's Genesis 12. Actually, Genesis 11, when you said, come, I'll take you to your land. And in the age of 75, he got given a promise about descendants, etc. Ten years later, at age 85, I think he had just given up, so he decided to have his own heir through the servant. You know, well, you know what I'm talking about? But only at 100 years did the promised child come forth. So there were many 25 years he had to wait. He tried to help God out. And the Lord says, no, it's not through that. It's through the son that will come through your wife, Sarah, Isaac. The disciples, think of the disciples. In Acts 1.4, Jesus said, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Wait. So they knew something was coming. They didn't know what. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they knew something was coming. They did not know when. They did not know how. It's very interesting. He said this to 500 people but only 120 waited. Only 120 waited, but 500 heard him say it, because that's what the Bible says. But the 120 that waited were rewarded. 
baptism of the Spirit came. They saw these flames coming down from heaven, tongues and flames of fire coming and falling on people's head. They received what the Father had promised through Jesus as they waited. They had to wait. While we wait, we worship. Amen. The way the 120 waited and worshipped was to pray, because that's all they knew what to do at that particular point. Jesus had given them plenty of instruction on prayer. Matthew 6, Luke 11, Luke 18, he had spoken to them about prayer, so that's what they did. But it was interesting that while they waited, they worshipped by praying, but God must have spoken to them because it took time to replace Judas, but Jesus didn't tell them to do that. He just said, wait. But while they were waiting, in prayer, God spoke, and they replaced Judas. Peter stood up and quoted Old Testament scripture, so they went through that process. While we wait and worship, God speaks. And when we take that and apply it into our lives, it's preparing us for the fulfillment of the promise. See, things are going to happen between the promise given and the promise fulfilled as we live by faith. One event, another event, this is the key part. That as we wait and worship, he will speak. And then he says, Ken, let go of that. Put that in your life. Take that scripture. Meditate. Whatever it may be. You know what I'm talking about. And as we're obedient to that, we're preparing our lives to receive the promise. Because he wants to put the promise here for us to experience it. Then we become partakers of the promise and carriers of the promise. Amen. But there's preparation that's got to go beforehand. So the best thing you can I do while we wait for God to act is to worship. And this is done by prayer, praise, giving thanks, and reading the word. That's how we worship God. Pray, praise, giving thanks, and read the word. The Bible says if you believe the word, this is what will happen in your life. It's a whole pile of stuff. So as we wait and worship, we watch. We wait. While we wait, we worship him, which is including prayer, thanksgiving, reading the word. Amen. But we watch at the same time. Mark 16, 13, 32. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. Do you not know that that time will come? It's, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each when the sign tasks and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everybody, watch. In other words, be alert. Be on the lookout. Watch. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. That's what we're doing when we live by faith, when we're waiting and we're worshiping and we're watching, we're keeping our lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants who masters find them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table 
and they will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready when he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So I know he's talking a lot about the second coming, but the principle is God gives us a promise. We do not know when he's coming to fulfill that. We have no clue when he's coming to, and how. And that's why we need to keep watch because when he comes and he knocks on your door in your heart on a Tuesday morning, are we going to hear him? Because there's a whole context of knocking on the door. And we're saying, yes, Lord, I'm here. What have you got to say? Amen. So there's a question of us being alert and listening and watching. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Let me see what you're doing. Let me be aware of what you're doing. How many of you are praying for an unsaved friend? Many of you. I encourage you, watch. As you meet with them and connect, watch. Watch what's God doing. The minute they ask a question about God, that's your opening. But don't go ahead of that. Because God is now working on the inside of them. Because in the humanness, the carnalness will not ask that question, and the devil won't tell them to ask that question. Hello? So God is showing you, I'm now busy at work in this person's life by them asking a question. Then just tell them the best that you know. Hey, you don't have to be a theologian. Just tell them what's real in your life. What was real in my life when my brother-in-law got saved was deliverance. So he came and stayed at our house. We were down in Cape Town. He came and stayed with us. And he asked me a question. And I just told him about deliverance because that's a base all I would really experienced other than my salvation. He got radically saved. Isn't that amazing? But he started to ask the questions. I never once preached to him. I waited and I waited. I prayed often in tears. And I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited. And one day he phoned and asked a question. That's how you watch. Even what happened this morning required a watching eternally. God, what are you doing? What are you doing here this morning? What do you want to do here this morning? I know we're going to sing our songs. I know we're going to praise you. We need to hear the word. But what is it you want to say? Watching. It's the same as your life, people. We've got to be watching, alert. Amen. God will show it. He will. You don't have to go look for it. He will show you. If you just wake, God will show us. He really will. Watch means to be alert. So when we wait and worship, we watch. Then we will get to see God at work, not only on your behalf, but on others. And that's what happened with the disciples. They got to see the Holy Spirit came. They watched what God did. Isn't that interesting? Because they had waited, they had worshipped, now they watched what God did. And you actually begin to see what God does, and you watch it. You see it with your natural eye, and it's wonderful. So to finish, when Jesus gave instructions for his disciples to wait, it is between the times that we live by faith, that we know we are pleasing God. It is in that time that character is born and developed in my life through faithfulness, 
steadfastness, trusting in God that he will do what he promises to do in his time. And he is faithful to watch over his word. And character gets developed in me. It's the times when I have to say sorry sometimes. It's the times when I have to say, sorry, Michelle, I didn't treat you correctly then. It was times when I was a father and my kids were in my house, I had to sometimes apologize to them. That wasn't the best thing to do. It's those times. A character gets born. Because God wants us to carry the promise, people. He wants us to be carriers and expressors of the promise. Because it carries life and it will express life. So we're not only to be ready to receive the promise, we want to become the promise and to carry the promise. Wait, worship, and watch. That's living by faith. Amen. Because we've got more promises to walk into. We really have some big ones. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, we have. I trust I'm still alive to see some of them, but it doesn't matter if I'm not. <laughs> That's why some people died by faith living, because they knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. Hallelujah. I'm so excited to see what God is doing. I really am. But I just know there's so much more. If you could just close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, your word says clearly, if we are earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more, how much more will you give us the Holy Spirit when we ask? So Holy Spirit, I know you're with us, but we ask you to come and do what only you can do in the hearts and the lives of people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.